Section 37, Introduction. In Section 35, verse 21, Sidney Rigdon was told that additional scriptures would be forthcoming, and Joseph would need to have Sidney serve as a scribe to record Joseph's words as the Lord revealed them to him. Barely had Joseph heard that Sidney Rigdon was assigned to be his new scribe before he began pleading with the Lord to continue the revelation on the lost scriptures of the Old Testament. In June, he had received the first chapter of the writings of Moses that told how Moses happened to get the story of the creation. Now he received what is known as the second chapter of the book of Moses, as published in the Pearl of Great Price. This is not in the Bible, but is the story of the creation of the spirit earth, the spirit plants, the spirit animals, and the vast hosts of the Father's spirit children. The third chapter of the book of Moses is the story of the physical creation of the earth, and all of its embellishments. The fourth chapter is the story of the fall. The fifth chapter is the story of Cain and Abel, and the apostasy of the first two generations of the children of Adam and Eve. It is also the chapter where the purpose of the fall is explained to Adam, and the whole plan of salvation is laid before him. He then shares everything with Mother Eve, and she proclaims her great statement of vindication. She had been blamed all through these years for the fall, and the Lord now reveals that she did exactly what God wanted her to do. Then we read in Moses chapter 5, verse 11, quote, And Eve, his wife, heard all these things and was glad, saying, were it not for our transgression, we never should have had seed, and never should have known good and evil, and the joy of our redemption, and the eternal life which God giveth unto all the obedient. Unquote. The sixth chapter is the effort of the six patriarchs to spread the message of the gospel abroad in the earth. Beginning with the 25th verse of this chapter, we apparently have the beginning of the lost book of Enoch. Joseph knew that the apostles had this great set of lost records, and Jude demonstrates in verses 14 and 15 of his book how much he knew about the mission of Jesus Christ. In The Pearl of Great Price, Dr. Hugh Nibley says he thinks the writings of Moses began with the 25th verse of chapter 6 and continues up to the 3rd verse of chapter 8 of the book of Moses. The rest of chapter 8 takes the reader up to the end of Noah's life and just before the great floods engulfs the planet. As a professor at Brigham Young University, I became fascinated with these writings of Moses and Enoch. Then I discovered that hardly anyone was reading them. I carefully analyzed these scriptures, and it took over 200 pages in my book, The First 2,000 Years, to tell the history and explain the doctrine of these fascinating chapters. Eventually, I began giving lectures so people would know how exciting these eight chapters of the Pearl of Great Price turned out to be. Many people thought these chapters were boring, but in a decade or so, the first 2,000 years had sold around a half million copies, so these scriptures were exciting after all. 
During December, Joseph was translating these scriptures as rapidly as Sidney Rigdon could write them down. However, toward the latter part of the month, Joseph Smith received a revelation for both himself and Sidney Rigdon, proclaiming that it was the will of the Lord that the headquarters of the church was soon to be moved from Fayette, New York, to Ohio. This was the first revelation directing the saints to gather to a central place. The move was not to take place immediately since the third conference of the church was to be held in Fayette, New York on January the 2nd, 1831. Nevertheless, a letter from John Whitmer, who was in charge of the church at Kirtland, urged the prophet to come as soon as possible since the number of converts was overwhelming him and he needed assistance. Here was the will of the Lord at the close of the year 1830, as set forth in section 37. Behold, I say unto you, that it is not expedient in me that you should translate any more until ye shall go to the Ohio, and this because of the enemy, and for your sakes. Joseph is to discontinue his revision of the Bible until he has moved to Ohio. The Lord says this move to the West is essential for the sake of the prophet and his associates because the enemy is combined and their lives are in danger. And again I say unto you that ye shall not go until ye have preached my gospel in those parts and have strengthened up the church whithersoever it is found, and more especially in Colesville. For behold, they pray unto me in much faith, However, there is to be no panic or immediate flight. In fact, before they leave, Joseph is told to immediately send out missionaries into the area of New York where they had already made some progress and see that the branches of the church are strengthened. The Lord says the saints in Colesville particularly need attention since they have earnestly prayed for support. The Gentiles in that area have always been filled with bitterness toward the members of the church. And again a commandment I give unto the church, that it is expedient in me that they should assemble together at the Ohio, against the time that my servant Oliver Cowdery shall return unto them. The Lord wants the word to go forth that it is his divine command that this gathering in Ohio take place. As Joseph was soon to discover, there were many converts who were well-established in western New York and were very reluctant to move. Joseph's biggest task was convincing them that it was extremely important that they faithfully follow the instructions of the Lord. Behold, here is wisdom, and let every man choose for himself until I come. Even so, amen. The people were not to move to Ohio as a caravan, but go separately according to each family's best judgment. Section 38, Introduction In his history of the church, the prophet says that as 1831 dawned on the historical horizon, Joseph Smith visualized a prospect great and glorious for the welfare of the kingdom. That's in volume 1, page 140. On January the 2nd, 1831, the church held its last general conference in Fayette, New York. Everyone knew this was the beginning of a new era, 
and it would begin by having the saints sell or rent their farms so they could move to Ohio. This was so disruptive for many of the people, they asked Joseph to have the Lord give them a better understanding of why this difficult command was necessary. Joseph Smith agreed to approach the Lord, and the congregation in the cabin must have watched with fascination as Joseph took his position at a table with Sidney Rigdon acting as the scribe. As the revelatory power came over Joseph Smith, this is the divine message he received. Now we come to the text of section 38. Thus saith the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ, the great I Am, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the same which looked upon the wide expanse of eternity and all the seraphic hosts of heaven before the world was made, the same which knoweth all things, for all things are present before mine eyes. I am the same which spake, and the world was made, and all things came by me. It is obvious that the Savior felt compelled to remind the saints just who was in charge of the church. And it was he and not Joseph Smith who was directing this first great gathering of the members to a new location. I am the same which have taken the Zion of Enoch into mine own bosom. And verily I say, even as many as have believed in my name, for I am Christ, and in mine own name, by the virtue of the blood which I have spilt, have I pleaded before the Father for them. The Savior gives them the example of the great gathering of the people of Enoch, who must have comprised a whole nation after expanding for 365 years, according to Moses chapter 7, verse 68. Because they were obedient and righteous, they were sanctified and taken from off the earth. Jesus says the Father permitted the Savior to do this because of his atoning sacrifice. He asked the Father to let him do it, and for the Savior's sake the wish was granted. But behold, the residue of the wicked have I kept in chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day, which shall come at the end of the earth. But the wicked enemies of the city of Enoch who were left on the earth were massively destroyed when they were drowned in the great flood. Their spirits were afterwards confined to the spirit prison where they remained in darkness until they could be taught the gospel a second time by ministering angels under the direction of Christ during the three days and nights following the crucifixion and before Jesus was resurrected. That's in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 138, verses 29 and 32. These wicked spirits who had rejected the gospel during earth life had forfeited the celestial kingdom. But if they accepted the gospel in the spirit world, they could at least receive the terrestrial glory. And that's set forth in Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 71 and verses 73 to 74. And even so will I cause the wicked to be kept, that will not hear my voice, but harden their hearts, and woe, woe, woe is their doom. But those who will not accept the message of the gospel, even in the spirit world, remain in darkness and are resurrected in the telestial glory. 
That's in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 81 to 82. But behold, verily, verily, I say unto you that mine eyes are upon you. I am in your midst, and ye cannot see me. The Savior is much closer to us here on earth than we realize. He is watching us and moving among us, though we know it not. But the day soon cometh that ye shall see me, and know that I am. For the veil of darkness shall soon be rent, and he that is not purified shall not abide the day. This verse is referring to the second coming, when the veil which separates us from the presence of the Lord will be taken away so we can welcome him in all his glory. However, for the wicked, this is the end of their earthly existence, and Jesus says they will not be able to abide the day. Wherefore, gird up your loins and be prepared. Behold, the kingdom is yours, and the enemy shall not overcome. Here is the Lord's reassurance to the righteous saints who are helping the Lord establish his kingdom. The adversary will attack them, but they will be blessed and will overcome. Verily I say unto you, ye are clean, but not all, and there is none else with whom I am well pleased. However, there are some people in the church who think of themselves as members, but because of their secret sins, the Lord is not well pleased with them. For all flesh is corrupted before me, and the powers of darkness prevail upon the earth, among the children of men, in the presence of all the hosts of heaven, which causeth silence to reign, and all eternity is pained, and the angels are waiting the great command to reap down the earth, to gather the tares that they may be burned, and behold, the enemy is combined. As the Lord says in Doctrine and Covenants 97 and 26, dilatory members of the church will be treated as Gentiles. They will suffer the same punishment as the Gentiles because slackers have no promise. And now I show unto you a mystery, a thing which is had in secret chambers to bring to pass even your destruction in process of time, and ye knew it not. Satan and his hosts have already plotted to destroy the members of the church, but they think they are keeping it a dark secret. However, the Lord is revealing their secret, and this is the most important reason why he has commanded the saints to leave New York and assemble together in Ohio. Little did they know that the enemies of the church were plotting to destroy them, and their lives were at risk. But now I tell it unto you, and ye are blessed, not because of your iniquity, neither your hearts of unbelief. For verily some of you are guilty before me, but I will be merciful unto your weakness. The Lord wants them to know that one of the advantages of being members of the church is that they have the Lord watching over them. However, there are some who claim to be members who are not worthy of this blessing. They are guilty of a variety of offenses, but the Lord says he will be merciful to them and forgive their weaknesses if they repent. Meanwhile, the delinquent members of the church need to realize that they are traitors to the righteous saints, and their secret offenses could bring down an avalanche of evil on the whole kingdom. Therefore, be ye strong from henceforth, 
Fear not, for the kingdom is yours. The Lord knows there are rugged times ahead, and even the valiant will occasionally falter. However, he urges them to gird up their loins and be strong, for the glorious restored kingdom is theirs if they can just live worthy to receive it. And for your salvation I give unto you a commandment, for I have heard your prayers, and the poor have complained before me, and the rich have I made, and all flesh is mine, and I am no respecter of persons. And I have made the earth rich, and behold, it is my footstool, wherefore again I will stand upon it. The Lord is sensitive to the prayers of those who are suffering and who lack the necessities of life. The Lord wants the rich to know that it is he who has blessed them, and because he is no respecter of persons, he expects those with abundant means to help answer the prayers of the poor. The Lord made the earth, and he looks upon it as his stewardship, and when he has blessed the rich, he expects them to remember to whom the earth belongs. And I hold forth and deign to give unto you greater riches, even a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, upon which there shall be no curse when the Lord cometh. And I will give it unto you for the land of your inheritance, if you seek it with all your hearts. The Lord has future plans to give his people a land of promise for their inheritance. He also intends to share the riches of the earth with them. But all of these promises depend upon the righteousness of the people. To enjoy these rich blessings, they must prove themselves worthy by striving to obey the commandments and fulfill the instructions of the Lord with all their hearts. And this shall be my covenant with you. Ye shall have it for the land of your inheritance, and for the inheritance of your children forever, while the earth shall stand, and ye shall possess it again in eternity, no more to pass away. The Lord enters into a covenant with the saints, that if they will live in righteousness, their promise of an inheritance will abide forever. But verily I say unto you, that in time ye shall have no king nor ruler, for I will be your king and watch over you. Wherefore, hear my voice and follow me, and you shall be a free people. And ye shall have no laws but my laws when I come, for I am your lawgiver, and what can stay my hand? Up to this time, the leaders of the church have received very unfair treatment from the government officials who should be protecting them from mobs and false arrest. God's judgment will fall on them. However, there are to be no kings or dictators in this land, but the people shall be free as provided under God's law. And this law must be administered according to the principles laid down by the Savior. But verily I say unto you, Teach one another according to the office wherewith I have appointed you, and let every man esteem his brother as himself, and practice virtue and holiness before me. And again I say unto you, Let every man esteem his brother as himself. The Lord speaks as though the officers of the kingdom have already been receiving instructions which should guide them in any emergency, 
For example, the treatment of one person toward another should be according to the golden rule laid down by the Savior. For what man among you, having twelve sons, and is no respecter of them, and they serve him obediently, and he saith unto the one, Be thou clothed in robes, and sit thou here, and to the other, Be thou clothed in rags, and sit thou there, and looketh upon his sons, and saith, I am just. Behold, this I have given unto you as a parable, and it is even as I am. I say unto you, Be one, and if ye are not one, ye are not mine. The Lord gives a parable illustrating that no servant of the kingdom can be partial or unfair. Such practices create resentment and division. The Lord says there must be unity among the saints, or they are not his. And again I say unto you, that the enemy in the secret chambers seeketh your lives. The Lord again warns the saints that the assassination of their leaders, as well as some of the ordinary members of the church, are being plotted in secret chambers. Ye hear of wars in far countries and you say that there will soon be great wars in far countries. But ye know not the hearts of men in your own land. I tell you these things because of your prayers. Wherefore treasure up wisdom in your bosoms, lest the wickedness of men reveal these things unto you by their wickedness, in a manner which shall speak in your ears with a voice louder than that which shall shake the earth. But if ye are prepared ye shall not fear. Now the Lord expands the threat of danger to actual warfare. He wants the members of the church to be alert to the possibilities of wicked men plotting widespread violent civil war. He says that if necessary, they plan to use massive cannon fire that will cause the earth to tremble. At that moment, South Carolina was seriously considering a nullification act which would defy the federal government if it tried to collect federal tariffs. There were even whispers of seceding from the Union if President Jackson tried to enforce the federal tariffs. Eventually, South Carolina backed down, but the seeds were sown, and by 1860, 11 states declared their independence, and the worst war in American history began. And that ye might escape the power of the enemy, and be gathered unto me a righteous people, without spot and blameless. The Lord talks of his divine plans to have the saints escape the power of the enemy. The saints would never have guessed that by the time of the Civil War, the entire church would have been driven to the Rocky Mountains, where they would find themselves almost completely outside the fury of that terrible war. Wherefore, for this cause I gave unto you the commandment that ye should go to the Ohio. And there I will give unto you my law, and there you shall be endowed with power from on high. The Lord didn't merely invite the saints to move out of New York. He gave them a divine command. It was the first step in the great trek toward the West. The move to Ohio turned out to be only the beginning. And from thence... Whosoever I will shall go forth among all nations, and it shall be told them what they shall do. For I have a great work laid up in store, for Israel shall be saved, 
and I will lead them whithersoever I will, and no power shall stay my hand. The Lord already knew how tempestuous the history of the church would be between 1831 and 1847. But during that interval, two temples would be built, sacred endowments would be revealed, and the law of consecration would also be made known. The Lord said that no power would stay his hand, but he knew there would be gigantic quantities of suffering by the saints before these monumental achievements were accomplished. And now I give unto the church in these parts a commandment, that certain men among them shall be appointed, and they shall be appointed by the voice of the church. And they shall look to the poor and the needy, and administer to their relief that they shall not suffer, and send them forth to the place which I have commanded them. In the transfer of thousands of saints to the West, there would be massive movements of the people under cruel, long-suffering circumstances. Therefore, the Lord wanted to establish right here at the beginning that the leaders were commanded to make certain that the poor and ill-equipped were not neglected. These leaders would learn that no matter how tempestuous the trials and tribulations would become, the poor and meagerly equipped must not be left behind. And this shall be their work to govern the affairs of the property of this church. And they that have farms that cannot be sold, let them be left or rented as seemeth them good. See that all things are preserved. And when men are endowed with power from on high and sent forth, all these things shall be gathered unto the bosom of the church. The Lord also knew that massive migrations of thousands of saints would be terribly disruptive, and there would be a need for superior leaders assigned to help the people in the disposal of their farms and property, as well as to provide transportation for the poor to the next gathering place. At the moment, I think the Lord had in mind the likes of Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. It is obvious right from the beginning that the Lord was thinking of the church with its gifted leaders as a great protective conservatory of the temporal resources of the saints. And if ye seek the riches which it is the will of the Father to give unto you, ye shall be the richest of all people, for ye shall have the riches of eternity. And it must needs be that the riches of the earth are mine to give. But beware of pride, lest ye become as the Nephites of old. Now the Lord wants to put the word riches in its proper perspective. First of all, the Lord wants the saints to know that he could make them the richest people in the world. But first and foremost, he wants to have them assured of their riches in eternity. As for temporal riches, he has to keep in mind that it was gold and silver and jewelry that destroyed the Nephites time after time. The saints do better if temporal riches are kept somewhat frugal. And again I say unto you, I give unto you a commandment, that every man, both elder, priest, teacher, and also member, go to with his might, with the labor of his hands, to prepare and accomplish the things which I have commanded. Now in conclusion, the Lord commands every member of the church to go forward with all their might to accomplish this tremendous gathering of all the saints to Ohio. 
and let your preaching be the warning voice, every man to his neighbor, in mildness and in meekness. Of course, the saints are expected to preach the gospel as they move along, but it is to be a voice of warning, proclaimed with meekness and mildness. And go ye out from among the wicked, save yourselves, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Even so, Amen. The final word from the Lord is simply this. He is moving the people out from among the wicked. Meanwhile, each member of the church must examine his or her life to make sure they are, quote, clean that bear the vessels of the Lord, unquote. And the Lord then says, Amen. Section 39, Introduction. Immediately after the conference at Fayette on January 2, 1831, a Baptist minister named James Coville came to see Joseph Smith. He had been a Protestant minister for 40 years, but he was so impressed by the message of the restored gospel that he said he would covenant with the Lord to obey any commandment that might be given him. On January 5, 1831, Joseph received the following revelation for James Coville. Hearken, and listen to the voice of him who is from all eternity to all eternity, the great I Am, even Jesus Christ, the light and the life of the world, a light which shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not, the same which came in the meridian of time unto mine own, and mine own received me not. No Baptist minister ever received a stronger testimony of who was speaking to him than James Coble did on this occasion. But to as many as received me gave I power to become my sons, and even so will I give unto as many as will receive me power to become my sons. As a Baptist minister, James Coville certainly knew what a supreme blessing it would be to become a son of God. And verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth my gospel receiveth me, and he that receiveth not my gospel receiveth not me. And he would certainly know that one could not accept Christ unless he accepted the Savior's message of the gospel. And this is my gospel, repentance and baptism by water, and then cometh the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, even the Comforter which showeth all things, and teacheth the peaceable things of the kingdom. Now the Lord has clearly defined what James Coville must do in order to embrace the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. And now behold, I say unto you, my servant James, I have looked upon thy works, and I know thee, no doubt it thrilled the minister to be told that the Lord has looked upon his long ministry, and he truly knows him. And verily I say unto thee, Thine heart is now right before me at this time. And behold, I have bestowed great blessings upon thy head. The Lord pronounces a judgment on James Coville, and says that as of that moment his heart is right. Nevertheless, thou hast seen great sorrow. For thou hast rejected me many times because of pride and the cares of the world. 
But now the Lord says this minister has suffered much sorrow because he is too proud, and he has rejected his opportunities to come into God's kingdom because of his pride. But behold, the days of thy deliverance are come, if thou wilt hearken to my voice, which saith unto thee, Arise, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on my name, and you shall receive my Spirit, and a blessing so great as you never have known. The Savior now tells this proud minister exactly what he must do to receive the blessing he has never heretofore known. And if thou do this, I have prepared thee for a greater work. Thou shalt preach the fullness of my gospel, which I have sent forth in these last days, the covenant which I have sent forth to recover my people, which are of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass that power shall rest upon thee. Thou shalt have great faith, and I will be with thee and go before thy face. This minister is being called to do a greater work than any he has done in his entire life. If he is valiant, he will enjoy the manifestation of the power of God, and he will astonish the people with his manifestation of godly faith. In other words, the Lord is saying, Thou art called to labor in my vineyard, and to build up my church, and to bring forth Zion, that it may rejoice upon the hills, and flourish. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Thou art not called to go into the eastern countries, but thou art called to go to the Ohio. But here is the great test. He will have to gather with the saints to Ohio. And inasmuch as my people shall assemble themselves at the Ohio, I have kept in store a blessing such as is not known among the children of men, and it shall be poured forth upon their heads. And from thence men shall go forth into all nations. But the gathering to Ohio is to lay the foundation for a greater ministry which will be to the whole world. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, that the people in Ohio call upon me in much faith, thinking I will stay my hand in judgment upon the nations, but I cannot deny my word. The Lord says there is an anxiety among many Bible-reading Christians that a devastating judgment is looming over the land, and the people in Ohio are praying that somehow this judgment can be prevented. Wherefore, lay to with your might, and call faithful laborers into my vineyard, that it may be pruned for the last time. And inasmuch as they do repent, and receive the fullness of my gospel, and become sanctified, I will stay my hand in judgment. The Lord says this judgment can be prevented, and here is how James Coville can help. An army of missionaries must be recruited and sent forth to prune God's kingdom for the last time. And here is the message the missionaries must proclaim. Wherefore go forth crying with a loud voice, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, crying, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God. The Lord wants this Baptist minister to go forth with the power of the priesthood, and baptize multitudes and prepare them for the second coming, he says. Go forth baptizing with water, preparing the way before my face for the time of my coming. 
for the time is at hand. The day or the hour no man knoweth, but it surely shall come. And he that receiveth these things receiveth me, and they shall be gathered unto me in time and in eternity. The Reverend James Coville is being called to the same kind of mission as the ancient apostles, but up to now he has never had the authority to baptize, let alone confer the gift of the Holy Ghost. And again it shall come to pass that on as many as ye shall baptize with water, ye shall lay your hands, and they shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and shall be looking forth for the signs of my coming, and shall know me. Behold, I come quickly. Even so. Amen. There is no doubt but that the Lord has responded to the request of this lifelong Baptist minister with one of the greatest revelations he could receive. Section 40. Introduction. It is almost unbelievable that after the marvelous revelation which James Coville had received, plus his solemn covenant to carefully obey God's commandments, whatever they might be, he would deliberately violate his sacred promise. It turned out that he not only refused to be baptized and gather with the saints to Ohio, but he disdainfully turned his back on all the wonderful blessings the Savior had promised him. When Joseph learned that the Baptist minister James Coville had rejected baptism by the authorized priesthood of God and refused to move with the church to Ohio, the young prophet went back to the Lord for instructions. And here is the text of section 40. Behold, verily I say unto you that the heart of my servant James Coville was right before me, for he covenanted with me that he would obey my word. The Lord commended James Coville for his original sincerity in making a covenant with the Lord. However, he had solemnly entered a covenant to obey whatever commandment or instruction he was given by the Lord through direct revelation. And he received the word with gladness, but straightway Satan tempted him, and the fear of persecution and the cares of the world caused him to reject the word. The Lord even gave James Coville the compliment of having accepted the gospel in a spirit of sincere gladness. However, Satan tempted him. We are not told what temptation destroyed his former resolution, but it involved the cares and worries of the world. As a result, James Coville violated his sacred covenant, turned his back on the Lord's marvelous promises, and went back to his former congregation. Wherefore he broke my covenant, and it remaineth with me to do with him as seemeth me good. Amen. By breaking his covenant and returning to his former ministry, James Coville had obviously lost everything the Lord had promised him. However, the Lord told Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon not to concern themselves any further with James Coville. The Lord said it remained with him to handle this man in his own way and in his own time. In many ways, James Coville was like Nicodemus during the ministry of the Savior. Nicodemus had a direct encounter with the Son of God, and so did James Coville through direct revelation. 
But Nicodemus rejected the Lord, and who knows, he may have missed the opportunity to be an apostle of Jesus. By the same token, James Coville was at the very gate of the kingdom of God and violated the very oath which excluded him forever from that kingdom and prevented him from becoming the stalwart leader Jesus had described in the Revelation. James Coville missed the chance to become a close associate with Joseph Smith. He might have been with Joseph in Missouri when the site of the New Jerusalem was dedicated. He might have been selected as one of the Twelve Apostles in 1836, or at least appointed to be one of the Seventy. He might have gone with Heber C. Kimball to launch the gospel in England in 1837. He might have been at the dedication of the Kirtland Temple and witnessed the Pentecostal exhibition of spiritual powers. He could have helped build Nauvoo and watched the Nauvoo Temple rise against the sky. He could have even lived to see Joseph Smith nominated for President of the United States. He missed all of this brilliant future by listening to the whispering of Satan and fled back to what Satan said would give him temporal security with a small Protestant congregation in a tiny town of western New York. He chose what meant virtual oblivion of inconsequential nonentity when he could have been a choice servant of God. James Coville died December the 1st, 1844, just six months after Joseph Smith had suffered martyrdom and attained the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. We hope you're enjoying this podcast by W. Cleon Skousen. To find additional books and recordings on this and other topics, please visit skousenlibrary.com.